The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. And then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> the kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Sunday falls in sort of a weird place for our church. Um, we try to keep the Christmas season alive. And so I thought today was the second Sunday after Christmas. 
is not. It is the first Sunday after Christmas. But when Christmas falls on uh, a Sunday, that means New Year's Day, Happy New Year, falls on a Sunday as well. And that means it's the um, day in which we celebrate the holy name of Jesus. We don't go to the first Sunday of Christmas anyways. But last, last Sunday, um, this is preacher problems, but I'm telling you guys anyways. Last Sunday, um, the lectionary also pushed us into John 1, the beginning of John's gospel that has that beautiful, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us. And so I was thinking earlier in the week, it would be great just to go into John. So um, I came in 2015, but my first winter here was in 2016. So we did Luke, and then we did Matthew, and then Mark, and then in 2019 we did John, then we did Luke, and then we did Matthew, and then we did Mark, and now in 2023, which is weird to say, um, first time saying out loud, um, we're doing John again. So I was like, it'd be great to get into John. One of the things, if you're familiar with the Gospels, is Matthew and Mark, I think, share 70% of their content in the Greek structure. So they're very similar. Luke um, also shares a lot of Matthew and Mark and follows the same plot. But the year we have John, things get weird um, because John has a way different way of telling the story, of going about the story. So John's way of telling, uh, Mark doesn't have Christmas at all, to be fair. In the beginning, the good news of gospel of Jesus Christ, and then John's there. Um, uh, Matthew and Luke both have some semblance of Christmas stories, the ones that we celebrate, but John starts cosmically. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So I was thinking, it'd be great to move into John. And if you're, we've done this with some of the other Gospels. We do have copies of the Gospel of John by the, across from the coffee in the front. If you want to get a copy of the Gospel of John, you can take notes on one side, read on the other side. And if you read in the intro, there's an app, which you can scan the pages, and there's a study Bible attached to it on, the, on your phone. So those are... Um, out there if you'd like one of those. But point being is then as the week went on and I started to learn this is not Christmas 2, this is Christmas 1, and it's not Christmas 1 even, it's the day we celebrate that naming, I thought, let's read those. So in the middle of the service, that's what Shelley and Zane read together, that, that notion of this one is named that name. Um, this one is given the name uh, which is above every name. Um, and interesting in that passage is, is that Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. I think one of the greatest challenges for the church today is to continue to remember the Jewishness of Jesus. Um, so often we make Jesus just this new cosmic figure, um, and we forget uh, that his body bears the marks of being a faithful Jew. Um, we talk about the wounds he bears on the cross, but so too in his circumcision, he takes on the law himself, which was in the passage that Zane read us from Galatians, born of a woman under the law, that Jesus comes from that place. He doesn't come from nowhere. He comes from a specific people and a specific tribe. Um, and so trying to hold those together. There's one, I think, funny story. The first time, so a Christmas, does anybody know the next time Christmas falls on a Sunday? It's 11 years It's eleven years from now. Um, uh, so 11 years from now, that'll happen again. So that means the last time New Year's fell on a Sunday, for some reason we were in Matthew, and I thought, nobody will be here. It'll be really low. The church was smaller then, and I said, 
I've never preached on the murder of the innocents in the Gospel of Matthew, which is um, where, where they, Herod gathers up the babies. And it was packed and packed with children, even though we had canceled kids' church. And so this year I was bent not to make that mistake of saying, let's talk about the murder of the innocent children on New Year's Day. Happy New Year. Um, I thought I was being clever, and it had backfired severely. Um, but today we have those two readings that, that were read in the middle there that, that name for us that is still the Christmas season, um, still that season in which shepherds come and see what has happened with, with baby Jesus. They come, and what's beautiful about that passage in the Gospel of Luke, it's, it said they called him Jesus, not named him Jesus, because the name, as it says, was already given from the angel. Like this one who comes to us comes in a different way than everybody else comes. He comes to us as one sort of sent to us. And this is what John's gospel hits as well, too, in, in his uh, prologue. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God takes up his space in the world. Um, and so, yeah, we have those two sort of things hanging over us today, is that we're going to move into getting started with the gospel of John, but it's important to remember that this is still Christmas. Um, this is still those tw- 12 days in which we celebrate the Incarnation, in which we um, continually sing those songs, um, singing those songs after Christmas uh, always shocks the world. Um, even on New Year's Day, what are we still sitting in? We're sitting in the Christmas story, um, the big news that God has come and taken up flesh amongst us. Um, But John's gospel for this morning launches off again from where we were last week with this word becoming flesh and making his dwelling amongst us. My last church, I I was a bit of a snob, and people would say, it's Jesus' birthday. And I'd be like, Jesus was born in the summer. It's the celebration of the incarnation. Um, We celebrate that God has become incarnate on this feast. It doesn't need to line up with his birthday. It's because we're celebrating that God is coming amongst us. We try to capture that into a day, and one of the things I love living in the northern hemisphere, different in the southern hemisphere, is that it's around the darkest time of year. But that light begins to come back into the world. That where it was placed in the church's wisdom is this place in which we... um, can begin to, to sort of look at light coming back in, that, that John says that there, that there was darkness um, and this light came and the darkness did not overcome it. That this beautiful way he opens his gospel gives us this notion of this word becoming flesh amongst us. And last week, we talked about the word and, and the ways in which it could mean the word of creation, um, the word... Uh, not the Bible, but, but the incarnate of the Bible. One of the more uh, old ways of explaining it, but was put into new form, was that uh, he is the voice of, of the inexpressible God, that he is the word that becomes incarnate. Um, one of the ways I think of it, when, when we talk about he's the logos, which is the Greek word, he's the logic of everything, we talked about how he might be the, um, the tune of the universe become incarnate that he's, he's the, the way in which things were meant to be coming into flesh. So John's gospel opens with that beautiful, beautiful sort of um, poetry. We talked about how 
So often we speak in prose today, but John's, the opening of John's gospel comes as almost poetry, and poetry has this tendency to point out something deeper to us that we can't say just in prose as well. Um, he can't describe the mathematics of the incarnation, but he describes it in the way of, in which this word becomes flesh and takes his dwelling amongst us. We talked about how that, that Greek word for, for dwelling in the Greek Old Testament also talks about the tabernacle, that he tabernacled amongst us, that his presence of beauty and light takes up space in the world. Eugene Peterson in his, his translation says that the word moved into the neighborhood, how God gets near to us in the way that the word moves near in the neighborhood. So we have all these ways in which this sort of opens John's gospel. And what, what it ends with today, which, which is the final point of that sermon that I want us to hear too, is that come and see this first chapter. Is that John, in the telling of his gospel, invites us to come and see where Jesus is saying what he's doing in the world and how he's acting as the word that is become incarnate. As readers, sometimes we read the gospels for information. But if you have time to pick up one of those Gospels of John and read through it this year, view it as an invitation to come and see what Jesus is doing. It's, it's, um, the Gospels, while telling true stories, were constructed in a way, too, to draw us in. John, more than any, because he acknowledges near the end of his Gospel that this was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the only one who acknowledges what was this written for? It was written for the purpose of belief. And so when the disciples at the beginning are invited to come and see, so too as the readers of John's gospel, we are invited to come and see what the word becoming flesh is doing in the world. But that section ends with, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who, himself, who, it, who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. That cosmic scene ends there. And what's spoken is next, and now this was John's testimony. The Gospels um, have this weird way of, of taking these big, uh, world-changing themes that almost seem mythic, and then they say, on uh, the corner of 23rd and Blake. Um, and that's what they hold together well, is that often when we would read these stories in the first century, if you read these stories in the first century of other sort of demigods or the gods and stuff like that, it was all just sort of made up. Um, you know, they were on great planes and great things. But the Gospels have the weird thing of like, the word, the cosmic logos became flesh. And then there was this guy, John, and Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, that they tie it close to humanity. They tie it close to the concrete. It's like this, this big thing, um, we, we over-assume this as Christians, but this cosmic thing is coming into history. It's the classic Luke 2 passage we read at Christmas in the days of Caesar Augustus. Normally when you're telling the story of sort of a, a demagogue, a mythic figure, it's like it doesn't matter when it occurred, it's supposed to be something that could occur at any time. Um, but when they're telling the story of Jesus, they always pinpoint it to specific times and places. You're going to see that throughout this passage. And what's funny is, we didn't read this part, but I just want to quickly say about it, is when they come to John, um, 
he's got this great mission and that he's not. Are you the Messiah? I am not. Are you a prophet? I am, I am not. Are you the light itself? I am not. He's, he knows who he is not. Again, perhaps a lesson for the church and Christians today. Are you the big deal? I am not. Are you the one who's going to, to make the big deal happen? I am not. That John, in, in John's gospel, not the writer of John, has this way of sort of naming the things that he is not so that, that he can hear more of who Jesus is in this gospel. Um, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? I baptize with water, but one who stands among you you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whom I, again, I am not worthy to untie. And John, I think, is sometimes a helpful stand-in for the church here. He's, he's in that first prologue called a witness to the truth. One of the themes as we go through John's gospel, again, I encourage you to read it all the way through at least once. We finish on Easter with John's gospel, um, but maybe twice. Is One of the themes that, that scholars point out is there seems to be a great trial of the world in John's gospel. John is called a witness. And there's these scenes, these exchanges, in which Jesus is always, it seems like there's, there's sort of a judgment going on of everything. Jesus and the world at the same time. There are these witnesses. It's a, um, a powerful way to read through the story, to see that there's this trial going on from its very beginning. He's a witness to this one. He's a witness, and the way in which he's a witness is that he is not these things. He's not the word who has become flesh. What's funny is that was one day, and then the next section begins, which Chris read for us, is the next day he sees Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, another way of saying it, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That John, the next day, is able to see this one. This is the one I meant a man who comes after me um, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but this reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Again, a specific revealing. What John names here is this big theme in John. First, um, taking away the sin of the world. Now, I thought I had this verse memorized, um, and I would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But what John names is just the singular sin, which is a very important distinction in the New Testament. Oftentimes it talks about sins. When it talks about sins, it talks about the things that we've done wrong as humanity. Lie, cheated, steal that we are people bound in, in a plurality of sins, individual actions um, that seem to cut short uh, both our relationship to God and our relationship to one another, that that seems to be what happens with sin. Um, but there's another way of talking about sin in the New Testament, which is in the singular. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And in the singular, it's talking about the weight of sort of everything that's broken. It's not just, um, there's a funny comedic skit where Jesus is mad about something that Simon Peter said to a a guy driving a different camel in traffic. Um, It's not just uh, when you stubbed your toe, you used the Lord's name in vain. When sin is used in the singular, it's the massive weight of pollution and destruction and darkness that seems to cohere over the whole world. It is this principality and power. It is this thing like we could, we could try and do sins less, but we can't solve the problem of sin in the world. So often the church, I think, gets stuck into, uh, I believe it's Dallas Willard who came up with the phrase, Gospels of Sin Management. Congrats, congrats you found Jesus. Now all you have to do is work at sinning less until you die. Um, that's, that's the picture of the Christian life that comes out of that gospel of sin management world. Um, but what John names here is that the Lamb of God came not to just make so that we don't have broken relationships. It's come to take away the whole weight of everything. It's come to remove that disease, that sickness, that pollution from the whole world. To take that away. You can imagine gurus or, or today apps or things that can come amongst you and promise you freedom from actions you don't want to commit anymore. Um, you, could, you could find these training ways to, to sort of be freed from that. But we're never freed from the weight of all that. So John here in his first sort of testimony about Jesus that isn't, I'm not, proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, I've I've memorized this so wrong. Takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, too, does take away the sins of the world. We will find that elsewhere in the New Testament, that Jesus is paying the debt for all of our individual actions of corruption. But that is not what John is talking about here. John is talking about taking away the stain of the world. And the Lamb of God, too, is another challenge, is that there's, um, in the first century world, there wasn't a clear reference to what John might be referring to. There's the Passover Lamb, but the Passover Lamb um, doesn't take away sin. Uh, The the Lamb that's slaughtered and put over the doors. Um, Now, you could read this lamb then as not taking away the sins of the world, or sin of the world, but taking away the people from destruction. So this is a lamb that's offered in the same one at Passover. The people who are the children of God in John's language are brought out of slavery, no longer to Pharaoh, but to sin and brought into new life. There's a teaching in Isaiah about the lamb who slaughtered for people's sins. There's at this time... Um, Uh, notions of sort of in the rabbinic community sort of a cosmic lamb, um, this lamb that's sort of above all. And so we have this way in which we instantly think we know this really fast, so it's the lamb of God, it's this one. Um, But if we were to say it's the Passover lamb, and then so often what we think about is how Jesus pays our debts, we miss what the Passover lamb symbolizes. 
Passover lamb symbolizes our path into new freedom, our path into new creation. So often, uh, the church has, a, when, when we talk about how atonement or one of these, these things function, I, I think about it as like golf clubs, which is really a clever way to start this analogy, I guess. Um, so moving on, no, uh, is, that, is that you have a golf club and then you pick what you're trying to hit. Um, for me, it doesn't really matter. They all go the same distance. But for good golfers, you can, you can say, I'll use my nine iron for this or my, my driver or this, that, and the other. Um, the church has a, a uh, golf bag full of lots of different ways we can talk about what Jesus has done about he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet, it seems like in this late phase of American evangelicalism and church history and this, that, and the other, we just use one club over and over and over again, um, or two clubs. And oftentimes it can cause us to miss the depth of what God has done. Um, we, we, we don't appreciate the full depth of the story. So we jam all these images into things that, that maybe they don't mean that. Um, but this is John's testimony of him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he names him as preexistent as well. He says he, he's the one um, who surpassed me because he was before me. Going back to the title, he's the one who's coming from someplace else. Again, the solution to this, taking away the sin of the world, does not reside within human reach. It has to come from outside of us. <coughs> Sorry. The next day, John again with his disciples, looked the Lamb of God. <coughs> Sorry. Late, late night last night. <coughs> and his disciples hear him say that, look, the Lamb of God. <coughs> Jesus saw them and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you will see. These disciples are invited into <coughs> this um, a simple relationship. Um, come and you will see. That, that the, the notion of, of what we do, what we contribute to salvation, is as simple as, look, the Lamb of God, where are you staying? Come and you will see. The path we're invited in is to come and to see what Jesus has done for us. And so they go through this path, <coughs> and they stay with him. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and they brought him to Jesus. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. That They, they begin to form this new community here. The next day, another brother comes, and we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about the wisdom and the prophets that also wrote. 
Again, Jesus here is being named as one who comes from this story, as the incarnate of this wisdom of Moses, of law, and prophets. When they see this one, they connect him to that. <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I love Nathaniel's response. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Um, which is, uh, every town has a town that they look at like that. But I always wonder what happens when you get to the end of the road. Um, so like in Oregon, we had uh, Salem, and Salem looked down on Albany, and Albany looked down on Lebanon, and Lebanon looked down on Sweet Home, and Sweet Home was right next to this really bad town called Castadia, and then after that was mountains. I was like, they probably just looked down on all of us. Um, they just don't play the game at all, maybe. Um, but what good can come from Nazareth? And again, come and see. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, he proclaims when he sees him. In this short miracle here, um, how do you know me? I saw you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus correctly names, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. This is where we begin into John's gospel. What at this point are you believing for? Come and see. Well, he saw me where I was. He saw me under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that as we take this journey through John together, listening and hearing of the things that Jesus does through this. Very truly, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus here points to what his mission is. Truly, we will see heaven open up and angels descending and descending on the cup of man. That Jesus, as he was the word and the begot of, in, in the beginning, now sets himself in terms from the book of Genesis as the ladder pitched between heaven and earth upon which angels descend and ascend. That this Logos, this one of God, now says, or alludes to in that story from Genesis, that he is the one who stands between heaven and earth. And as we go through the story, we're going to continue to hear about how Jesus is this one um, transforming death to life, slavery to freedom, um, sickness to health, darkness to light. That is, he is he, Emmanuel, God with us. The one who is given the name above every name is going to be revealed as the one who stands between heaven and earth and is that sign for us. So we are invited to come and to see and to read and journey in John's gospel to Easter from now. Um, let us pray. God, we, through John's words, are invited to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To take that in, to hear those words, 
the weight of which all that disforms and aims to destroy us. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So too we gather on this first Sunday after Christmas to be like Mary, to hear these things and to store them up in our hearts. Shepherds who come, disciples who follow, a name given from you. May this on the first of the year become something we store in our hearts as well. Not for the sake of a New Year's resolution or such, but so that the small fire lit today through hearing the words of what you have done for us might be kindled in time. We might hear again the good news of you, Emmanuel, come amongst us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.